Uh, We're continuing through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And Luke's goal here is to unpack, illuminate, shine a light on the person and mission of Jesus. To seek and save the lost. We'll be in chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and we'll read all the way through verse 26 this morning. And in these verses, as you're turning there, you'll, you'll see that we're going to cover two different interactions between Jesus and two men who are in desperate need of healing. And they seek Jesus out. They go to find him because they're convinced that Jesus can do something about their conditions. But we also find in these interactions something more. The authority and power of Jesus, not only to heal outward ailments, their outward condition, but also to meet their deeper need, their more important need, in this case, to cleanse their hearts from sin and make them whole. So let's dig in together. Let's go to God's Word to begin our time. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. This is the Word of the Lord for us today. While he, while Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he, Jesus, charged the man to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Verse 17, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing a bed, bringing, excuse me, on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today this is the word of the Lord for us now there's a lot going on in these verses two different interactions two different times in Jesus ministry however there's a string that ties them together which is why we're taking both of them together today and that is this that only Jesus Only Jesus has the authority and the power to cleanse, not just outwardly, but inwardly. So we'll look at how Luke lays them out. First, the cleansing of the leper, and then the healing of the paralyzed man. So let's first look at the cleansing of the leper, verses 12 through 16. Verse 12 says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, leprosy is a a condition we come across in 
the Scriptures often, actually, a fair amount. And it actually encompassed a number of different skin diseases in the first century. Uh, leprosy still exists in the modern day. Um, sometimes it's uh, a version of it, or one, one uh, potential uh, modern-day version of leprosy is called Hansen's disease. Basically, it, it still exists today. And without getting too graphic on a Sunday morning, many of you just had breakfast or finished your morning coffee, it's an infectious bacteria that infects the skin ultimately down to the nervous system and causes nerve damage. Now, modern medicine has uh, treatments, treatment programs and options for diseases like this, but ancient medicine had no consistent remedy. So those who contracted such diseases would often, especially as it got worse and worse, would be relegated to colonies of folks who suffered the, sim- the same ailments outside of population centers. Literal leper colonies were developed. They often weren't allowed into larger cities or towns. They had to keep themselves covered, head to toe, so as not to touch others, and were absolutely socially outcasts and untouchables. Medieval writers referred to those affected by leprosy in their day as the living dead or walking death. Just to give you a picture of what that is. I, I opted, you can Google leprosy. I opted not to put those images on the screen this morning. Description would be enough, okay? You can Google it if you want to. Just wait till after lunch. And Luke is a, a medical doctor, as we mentioned earlier, and so... His, his description of this man is a man full of leprosy. So this isn't an early onset case or he's got some rash on his body. If he's full of leprosy, he was likely covered head to toe with sores. It's possible that he was maybe even missing fingers or toes. And if he's full of leprosy, it's likely that he has extensive nerve damage. He might not even know if a part of his body was cut or burned. He was in bad shape. And Luke tells us that the, this, this man comes to Jesus and falls down in front of him. He risks a great deal approaching Jesus. Remember, he's a social outcast. The unwritten rules are you keep to those who are like you and don't come near the rest of the healthy people. And he might look particularly gruesome. Remember, full of leprosy. And as we talked about this text, this uh, week as a staff, as we, we do every week, we get together as a staff and talk about the week and talk about the, the text that we're going to read this following Sunday and, and what stands out and what comes to the surface. And Nicole, who serves on our staff team, pointed out what she called, um, what she saw was beautiful desperation of this leper. And she's absolutely right. There's desperation from this man. It's almost pal- palpable, isn't it? Luke says he begged Jesus. He begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, listen closely. He says, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. He doesn't say, I don't know if you can. He says, I I know you can. I am sure you can make me clean, but will you? I think the approach of this man, he's acknowledging the sovereign power of God over all creation. But he doesn't presume upon Jesus and twist his arm. He just leans into the mercy of God and begs Jesus. 
to help. And look what he asks. He asks to be made clean. See, that's the twofold problem of leprosy here. Not only is his physical body wasting away, but his deepest and truest need is to be made clean. He needs to be restored physically to his community. He recognizes he is utterly unclean in his sickness. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. Luke says that Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man. He touches him. This man who may not have experienced in a very long time the touch of another human being at all, let alone someone who is clean, and he feels the gentle and loving hand of the Savior who is not afraid... Get this, Jesus is not afraid to make real personal contact with those in need of cleansing and healing. And then Jesus says what is one of my favorite things among all of Jesus' words recorded in the Gospels. I don't know if we're allowed to have lists like this of like favorite things Jesus says. I, but in my top ten list is this phrase, this response of Jesus. He says this, I will be clean. I am willing, he says, And then immediately, Luke says, the leprosy left him. I will be clean. See, there's this honest and beautiful desperation we see in the actions of this leper. He's not shy about the depth and the reality of his condition. He doesn't beat around the bush with Jesus. He doesn't try to hide it and cover it up. But he's also not demanding and arrogant. He simply comes to Jesus and says, I I know my condition. I know I am unclean. I make no excuses. And I know that you're powerful enough to do something about it. Will you help me? Now, I don't think any of us in the room is dealing with literal leprosy at the moment. If you are, you could talk afterwards. That would be intriguing to me. But the reality is that we too have our own version of spiritual leprosy. We have our own uncleanness that remains while we remain. We are fully aware of the sins that haunt us personally, aren't we? The habits that linger in us, the things that chip away bit by bit at our desire, our heartfelt desire to love Jesus with our whole heart. We're aware of those things in us. So is there something we can learn from this man full of leprosy here? It might just mean just being honest, like really and truly honest about our own brokenness. Not partial confessions, but honest, detailed reality before God. It's not that God doesn't already know every detail anyway, right? It it might mean not letting the outward shame and fear of what someone else might think if I were to be honest and real about my brokenness but not being afraid of that anymore because I know that in Jesus, true and deep cleansing comes. And what do we see from Jesus? He's not afraid. He's not afraid of getting in close to those who are dirty and unclean and needy. He reaches out and makes contact. Jesus touches the unclean and makes them clean. This is good news for us. So what does it look like for you and me to be really honest about our true condition? Because I think it's there we'll find something that we actually need. 
Not just healing for outward struggles, but cleansing of sin and the remains of the old self. Let's continue. Jesus then tells this man who was healed to tell no one, but instead go and show himself to the priest who would verify that he is no longer uh, full of leprosy, that he is now clean. And then Jesus is, is alluding to in this, according to the law of Moses, you would go, you'd present yourself to the priest, he would look you over and say, yes, you are now clean. And upon the declaration of being clean, he would then offer an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord. That we see this in Leviticus 14. He gave the instructions for the people of Israel on what they were supposed to do if they were leprous and then were made clean and how they honor God in that. So Jesus tells him, show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody. Just show yourself to the priest and do what the Scriptures command. And it appears that even though Jesus told the man not to say anything, we don't know how well he listened. Because Luke says, now even more... The report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So it's likely that this guy didn't obey Jesus perfectly. He probably talked about what happened. And part of me wonders, can you blame him? Like, put yourself in his shoes for a second. You've been covered head to toe. You're full of leprosy, outcast from society, and Jesus heals you. How do you not just tell everyone you run into on the street, this guy just did something amazing for me? So I don't, I'm not mad at the guy, although Jesus told you not to tell and apparently he can't help it. And and we know that because word about Jesus is continuing to spread. We don't have to dive deep into this now, but if you're like me, maybe you wonder, why does Jesus always tell people to stop to not tell people what he's done for them. It's like he heals someone or, or frees them from demonic oppression. And then he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. And again, like, how could you not tell someone? But I think this is in part because Jesus is working very hard to guard his mission and his purpose. He doesn't want people to get the wrong idea about why he's come. He's not trying to be a traveling sideshow. He isn't trying to build a a following in order to make some kind of political statement. He is slowly and humbly and methodically unpacking and revealing the reality of the kingdom of God which has come to them. And yes, it comes with power and authority, but it comes with purpose and intentionality. And Jesus knows people. And he is refusing to let them make him into something he isn't and distort why he's come. Now, people often fail to listen to Jesus and they tell everyone anyway, hence the crowds continue to gather and people continue to seek him out. And Luke tells us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places. There's that word for wilderness and lonely places to pray, to commune with his heavenly Father for strength and rest. So don't don't miss that. It is crucial to the ministry of Jesus and is an anchor point for us. See, the leprous man falls down before Jesus, Luke says, confident that it's Jesus' power that can heal him. And humility, he humbles himself and begs Jesus to make him clean. Jesus reaches out and touches him and makes him clean. Let's look at the next section, starting in verse 17. One of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there 
who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now we'll see an example of the crowds here in a second, but Luke introduces some new characters into the story. Pharisees and teachers of the law. Pharisees were the de facto religious leaders of the day. There were priests for temples and synagogues, but the Pharisees were uh, the class of people, if you will, the group who prided themselves on keeping the law of God and observing it, uh, took observing it very seriously. So much so that they actually built man-made rules around God's rules just to make sure that they wouldn't Break God's rules. Here's an example of that. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Pharisees of the day built a man-made fence around the third commandment and said, God has told us his name is Yahweh. But we're not even going to use the name Yahweh and pronounce it out of fear that we might break the third commandment. So we're going to use the name Jehovah instead. It's a combination of a couple other names. So they built the the fence, the man-made fence, around the actual law. And as long as we kept that, then we're for sure going to you know, not interfere on, on the, in, the main thing that God has given us. Anyone else confused? Right? Here's the problem with that. You could keep all of the man-made laws on the outside and fail to actually love God and His law that He gave in the first place. So the outward idea, the outward show of their law-keeping would be on full display. Look how righteous they are. They keep all the rules. And yet their hearts wouldn't actually love God. And we'll see more of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees as we continue in Luke. But the common theme with them is that their adherence to their own traditions, to their own laws, actually kept them from seeing Jesus for who He really was. And so often they remain blind to the actual truth. (laughs) They remain blind to the actual reality of who Jesus is. And that's what's interesting here is that Luke highlights that not only are people starting to take notice of Jesus, but now the religious community is interested. They come from all over. It says they came from all over the known world, including from Jerusalem. Luke says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. He was full of the Holy Spirit and preaching and healing with power and authority. And apparently he's teaching in this house in verse 18 where some men brought their friend to see Jesus. This friend was paralyzed. We don't know why. We don't know the extent of his issues. Only that he had to be carried on his bed. Some kind of a mat You know, you can picture something like a cot or a stretcher, something where other people could help carry you. In any case, he had to be carried, and because the crowd was so large, they couldn't get their friend in to see Jesus. People were spilling out of the house, basically, and we couldn't they couldn't get in to see him. So they get creative. They say, I got an idea. I wonder whose idea it was, I don't know. But one of the friends, right? He goes, how are you guys with roofing materials? First century houses of the day were typically flat roofed and they had a staircase usually on the side or the back of the house. So the idea was, well, if we can get up on the roof, we can tear back some of the material. We can lower our friend down to see Jesus. And that's exactly what they do. These men carry their friend up the stairs and start dismantling the roof of a house that they do not own in order to make a hole and lower down their friend. 
verse 20, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, hold on a second. Clearly, this man was paralyzed. It seems obvious to me, probably to everyone in the room, that this man was here for physical healing. They brought him to see Jesus because they believed Jesus could heal him from his paralysis. This was Jesus' reputation, right? For healing disease and sickness and brokenness and infirmities. And Jesus says to him, rather than addressing his paralysis, your sins are forgiven. Now, common thinking at the time was that outward physical issues, blindness, paralysis, etc., were often due to some kind of unresolved sin, either in the life of the person who was suffering or maybe even in their family or someone close to them. In fact, in John's gospel, John records an interaction between a, a man born blind and Jesus and his disciples. And they see this man born blind and his disciples ask, Lord, why is this man blind? Is this because of his sin or his parents' sin? It was the prevailing thought. And Jesus responds, neither. <laughs> it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The prevailing idea was you, if you had bad stuff happening to you, it was be, probably due to sin in your life or sin that was passed down to you. Which is why I find it fascinating that this is what ruffles the feathers and upsets the religious leaders of the day. In verse 21, look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is slander. It's an insult to God. You're defaming God by saying the things you're saying. Only God can forgive sins. So who do you think you are forgiving someone of their sins? The Pharisees more readily believe that Jesus is insulting God by forgiving sin than believing that he could actually be who he claims to be. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, this is not the first time nor the last time where Jesus calls out what someone is thinking. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? Clearly, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. There's no outward proof of sins being forgiven. The harder thing, Jesus is poking in on them, the harder thing it is to say, rise and walk, because if you don't stand up, you prove you have no power. So I can say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can tell. But if I tell you to stand up, well, now you have to stand up, otherwise I'm fake. But they're not offended when Jesus heals the man. They're offended when he forgives him. Because, as much, as much as it is easier to say your sins are forgiven, the actual forgiveness of sins is the harder thing to do because only God can do that. And then in verse 24, which is another one of my favorite phrases of Jesus in the Gospels. Again, not sure I'm allowed to have that, but there you go. But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turns to the man and says, I tell you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. Forgiveness is easier to say, but harder to accomplish. And Jesus proves he has the authority to do the greater work of forgiveness by bringing about the easier, 
as Lord of creation, physical healing of the paralyzed man. And then Jesus uses this name for himself. He says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite self-designation. He uses it 26 times in Luke's gospel, over 80 times in all four gospels. And this phrase, Son of Man, is a reference to Jesus' Messiahship. He is the Christ. The reference stems from the book of Daniel chapter 7. The Lord gives Daniel a vision. And this is from Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. It says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The picture in Daniel is of one like the Son of Man standing before the Ancient of Days, God the Father, receiving glory and worship and honor from every people and language and nation. And he is the ruler of this kingdom which has dominion forever. And Jesus is saying, that's me. And every faithful Jewish man or woman, and especially the Pharisees, when Jesus says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority, would know exactly what he was claiming in that moment. Because he wants to be crystal clear about who he is and what he's come to do. Fully God with the authority and power. Fully man to redeem and restore humanity and make all things new. Son of Man is a title that Jesus is taking up to show, I am God. Now there's way more we could talk about with the Son of Man. We'll unpack it more as we read it in Luke's Gospel. More and more as we, as we go through. But here he's making this proclamation. He, the God-Man, has authority on earth to decree and extend forgiveness, which only God can do. And notice the the faith of them in this passage. He says, uh, Luke says, when he saw their faith, who is them? Well, presumably it's the man and his friends who carried him to Jesus. See, there is, like with the leper, here with these men, a sense of beautiful desperation. Doing whatever it takes to go and get before Jesus, who's the only one who can do something. So let me ask, like the leper, does your brokenness drive you to Jesus? Does your sense of, your honest sense of where you're at and your need, does it drive you to Him? And if you permit me to draw out the application just a little bit further, who are the friends that you have that come alongside you, join their faith to yours, and help carry you to Jesus? And who's the friend whose mat you carry? See, we are often simultaneously both on the mat and carrying someone else's. We are both friend and spiritually broken because we ourselves need forgiveness and healing and we bear with one another and help carry them to Jesus where they can find forgiveness and healing that they need. 
Are you willing for your need to be known by others so they can help carry you? Or are you too stubborn or too ashamed or too scared? Part of what we're seeing here is that faith isn't merely an individual endeavor. Jesus looked on their faith in action and graciously responded to the man on the mat. See, in both cases, the leper and the paralytic, we see the deep work of cleansing and healing, forgiveness that's at the heart of all of Jesus' healing of outward pains and and brokenness. In almost every instance we see in the scriptures of Jesus healing someone outwardly and physically, it's a shadow. It is gracious in and of itself. Let me be clear. A display of God's raw, merciful power to heal. And it is a shadow of the deeper, more important, I would argue, work of restoring the soul. Restoring the brokenness, the separation from God, the the brokenness that sin has brought to make someone new. Verse 25 says, Immediately the man rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. I'll say it again. Every instance of healing, Jesus' outward healing, is a miraculous blessing and kindness of God. And it is a shadow of the deeper, eternal work of cleansing from sin and restoring of the brokenness of our souls. See, my hope in this passage is twofold. One, that we're able to really, truly acknowledge our need. That we would stop hiding behind the fear of being found out. That we would stop hiding behind the shame because we feel we're too far gone or too full of sin but with sober clarity, confess the reality of our need and throw ourselves, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, before Jesus in beautiful desperation. Knowing that He is both able and willing to cleanse us. And two, that we would recover the the sense of awe that, that comes with the reality of our now being healed. That as we pick up our mats of brokenness, the places where we used to, the things we used to lie on, the places we used to be, as we pick those up, as Jesus heals us, and we move forward into healing and into the, the power of the Spirit at work in us, we would not lose our sense of amazement and awe and worship because Jesus, the Son of Man, who has authority and power to cleanse us, has touched us, has healed us, and is making us new. That we wouldn't miss those things. Acknowledging our true need and recovering our awe and worship because at His touch and only at His touch are we healed. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You that You are patient. That when we are slow, agonizingly slow at times to respond to You, You are patient with us. And that it's at, it is Your mercy that reaches to us in our brokenness, in our unworthiness, in our desperation. You reach to us and have compassion on us and come all the way to bringing healing 
to us. You're not afraid to, to extend the hand of mercy to us who are broken and lepers and in need. I'm grateful for that reality. And so I pray, Father, for, for two things for us even today. One, that you would do a work of grace to expose the areas we desire to keep hidden out of shame or fear of being found out or just we just feel so burdened by it we don't know what to do. Would you work grace in us to expose those things so that we might stand free of shame, free of condemnation, Because Jesus is the one who can actually heal. And two, I pray that you would give us eyes to see again the the beauty, the wonder of your love for us. That the cleansing of our brokenness would not be missed on us, that it wouldn't become normal, but that we would respond glorifying God, that we would be in awe of it. So would you cause our hearts, even today, to respond with honest and true confession and with worship for your kindness to us in Jesus, to wash us clean and to make us new. We pray this in his name alone. Amen.